I am Pastor Carl Bierman. I serve as your regional gift planner for the ELCA Foundation, which is in partnership with the Southern Ohio Synod. This means that I get to serve you free of charge to find the ways that you can leave a living legacy to the ministries that matter to you. I am so glad you have joined us for our episode today. I'll start with two bad jokes about Lutherans. First, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, four. One to change the bulb, and three to talk about how much better they liked the old bulb. The second joke, what happens when you combine a Lutheran with someone from a faith tradition that goes door-to-door evangelizing? The answer? You get someone who rings the doorbell and then doesn't know what to say. These are irreverent ways to talk about the fact that Lutherans have not been good at sharing the story of faith and have been resistant to changing the way they talk about their faith, which they may not do at all to paraphrase a line from the musical, The Music Man. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to hear the story of Jesus and how he saves us, and to tell the story of Jesus to others. Discipleship and sharing the story of Jesus are inextricably linked. I've been using a definition of discipleship proposed by Professor Mark Mattis of Grandview College in Des Moines, Iowa. Professor Mattis describes discipleship as an outcome. For him, discipleship is what happens when, through the preaching of God's Word, believers are created and formed to live by trusting God's promise to be God and by loving the neighbor in service of creation's well-being. Romans 10.17 states, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. The word of Christ is the story of Jesus and his work in the world and in our lives. The word of God is encountered in the story of Jesus. People come to faith when others tell them the story of Jesus. Discipleship is an outcome of someone telling the story of God's work through Jesus. For that reason, the notion of telling the story of Jesus is important to discipleship. For Bishop Suzanne Darcy Dillahunt, Bishop of the Southern Ohio Synod, discipleship is about the story of Jesus. She calls us to hear the story of Jesus and to tell the story of Jesus. In this podcast, we will look at hearing the story of Jesus and telling the story of Jesus. Let's look at each one a bit more in depth. A mark of discipleship is hearing the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the story of redemption. Why is it important to say that it's a story of redemption? First, it is important to say it's a story of redemption because the story of Jesus does not start with our perfection. 
Second, it is important to say it's a story of redemption because the story of Jesus is not about us engaging God, but of being engaged by God first. Third, it is important to say it's a story of redemption because the work of Jesus opens us to a new way of life and brings us into that new way of living. The story of Jesus is a story of life over death, hope over despair, mercy over judgment, and freedom over being bound to the brokenness of the world. It's about grace. Or as one pastor once said, justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Another mark of discipleship is telling the story of Jesus. Telling the story of Jesus has a more specific and personal quality to it. Telling the story of Jesus speaks of Jesus' action in the world, but also tells of how Jesus is active in our own lives. This is about being able to articulate in our own words how Jesus is alive and at work in our lives. Telling the story of Jesus is personal. Telling these stories is an act of humility, for it describes our own helplessness and Jesus' willing and gracious work to save us. Picture yourself being asked to stand in front of a group of people and to make a speech. I can be sure that as soon as I ask you to picture that, some of you will feel your heart rate increase and at least a twinge or two of anxiety. I have to admit that as a person who talks for a living, I don't have the same feelings of anxiety about public speaking. But at the risk of sparking a panic attack, I want us to go back to our speech classes in school or college. In those classes, we learned about various types of speeches. There is the informative speech. This is a speech that is intended to share information with others about a subject or process. There is the persuasive speech. This is a speech that is intended to convince others of a viewpoint or need to act in a certain way. There is the demonstrative or instructive speech. This is a speech which is like the informative speech, but will usually include objects and how to use them. There is the entertainment speech. This is the speech which is to do as its name suggests, to entertain. I want to ask you to consider a fifth type of speech. I call it revelatory speech. A revelatory speech is one that reveals a greater truth or power in life. The listener encounters the truth or power in the speech, and in that encounter with the truth, the person is changed. One could say that a revelatory speech has a performative quality to it in that it does something or causes something to happen to a person. In the Lutheran tradition, we understand sermons to be revelatory speech. But preachers are not the only ones called to revelatory speech. When we tell the story of Jesus, 
every Christian is using revelatory speech. You see, Christian storytelling is revelatory speech. Christian storytelling takes the form of proclamation and witnessing. In proclamation and in witnessing, a greater truth or power is named. In the Christian story, it is God through Jesus. In hearing the story of faith, a person is changed when they encounter that truth. So we can say that Christian storytelling is performative in that it changes the hearer. The truth, the power in Christian storytelling is God. People encounter God when we tell the story of Jesus. Christian storytelling always starts with Jesus. As Bishop Dillahunt writes, we are grounded in Jesus. This is always our foundation. Every person has a collection of stories at their disposal. These stories include family stories, accounts of childhood adventures, coming-of-age stories, college myths, love and engagement stories, stories from work, our neighborhoods, our friendships, maybe our growing old stories. These stories are accounts not only about a person, but also about the relationships the person has with others, with institutions, with life experiences, and on their spiritual journeys. These stories provide an important part of our identity. Stating the importance of story for identity formation, Professor Dan McAdams writes, that a person's life is given unity, meaning, and purpose when it has an inner story. His definition of a life story is that which provides a moral frame of reference because it grounds your experiences in basic values and beliefs. This moral framework aids a person in determining what is right or wrong, good or bad, beautiful or ugly. Without having a story that threads its way through all of our life, McAdams states, person's life becomes episodic. Now, what does he mean by episodic? He describes an episodic life as one where a person lives in just that moment. The past does not influence the moment. Concerns about the future don't influence the moment. Living in the moment, a person lacks self-awareness, does not reflect on the past, thus does not learn from experience. Being in the moment, a person sees the present as one more argument or battle to win. One moment does not appear to have a connection to the next moment, so there is minimal, if any, growth in the person. In an episodic lifestyle, a person is typically lacking maturity. Moving from battlefield to battlefield, a person living in the moment does not gain experience and perspective from the previous moment, so does not grow in maturity and wisdom. Having an episodic lifestyle leads a person to trust that which works at a particular time to win the moment. Each moment stands alone, so no consistency is seen between one's actions at one moment to one's actions at the next. The person believes their value is based 
on each success and winning each battle of each moment. In opposition to an episodic understanding of one's life, McAdams proposes that we consider a narrative understanding of our lives. A narrative or story understanding of life is to believe that the experience of one moment applies to the next and applies to each new experience. It is to grow and gain perspective that aids living in the next moment. McAdams, for over 20 years, has been working with his students to study a particular kind of narrative, a particular kind of story, which he calls the redemption story. Redemption stories are stories of overcoming suffering or adversity. Research has shown that those who have more themes of redemption in their life story are healthier and happier. For those who do not have as many moments of redemption in their lives, they have health problems and lower levels of happiness. Additionally, research has shown strong associations between redemptive life stories and an adult's concern for the well-being of other generations. With a narrative that includes redemption, a person is more likely to act in ways that are moral and more likely to have concern for other generations. Is your life story shaped by redemption? Here's a simple test to determine if your life is shaped by a redemption story. Ask yourself these three questions. In the stories that I tell others about myself, am I always the hero? In my stories, am I the one who is right and others are the ones who are wrong? And third, in these stories, am I the one who is always misunderstood? If the answer is yes to any of these questions, then perhaps the redemption story doesn't play such a strong role in your life. I hope you can find yourself in a place where you can become aware of your brokenness and thus the need for redemption. So hear once again the story of Jesus. In love for the world and for the people of the world, God sent Jesus into the world to save them and all creation. This is because the world and his people cannot save themselves. Jesus dies on the cross, not for those who are godly and perfect and the winner and hero in every story. Jesus dies for those who need to be saved. We all need to be saved. The story that brings the church into being is the story of God's redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. This is a particular story. It's our particular redemption story because we believe that redemption comes only through Jesus' death and resurrection. And Christians are called to tell this particular redemption story. We show more humility than hubris when we believe our life is written into the story of Jesus' redemption. We are called to tell others about the work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. 
And we speak to others not because we are better than them or that we have it together and that they don't or that we are better believers. We speak to others because we are at the same place that they are as people who desperately need the grace of God. Jesus states, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life of the church has its existence in Jesus Christ. The reality of the church is that older members of the church are losing their common ground with young adults. It is important for older Christians to realize that not every believer is focused on the pilgrimage of getting into heaven. Younger believers are more likely on a pilgrimage to make a difference in the world for those who are suffering, or a pilgrimage to lighten the heavy burden of what David Zoll calls enoughness. So where do we find common ground? I think we can find common ground in redemption stories. I think finding common ground in redemption stories is imperative to building relationships, especially when these redemption stories are rooted in the redemption brought about by Jesus Christ. Why would this make a difference? David Zoll writes, We fail to recognize that what we are worshiping when we obsess over food or money or politics is not the thing itself, but how that thing makes us feel. He goes on, Our religion is that which we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but for enoughness. And here's how Zal talks about the hunger for enoughness. We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours, that if we got enough, we would be good enough. The spiritual lives of young adults can become less of a pilgrimage toward getting into heaven and more of a pilgrimage of trying to achieve enoughness. This yearning for enoughness comes in large part from the social force of capitalism at play in their lives, and it starts at their birth. In that system, millennials are perceived as a commodity. Their life value is based on their performance and capacity to produce. Their performance in each situation classifies them as valuable or disruptive. Being a commodity is a particular life story. And it's a life story that does not include redemption. If you don't believe that young adults have been put under this pressure, Consider the high level of anxiety that parents have about getting their child into the right preschool. I could remember one parent saying to me when I shared with her where my son was going to preschool, why would you send him there? You want him to get into a good college, right? It starts so young. And look at the pressure we put upon them to do well in school. For what reason? So that they can get a good job.
The battle for enoughness is not a story of redemption. It's a story of judgment. The story of Jesus is a story of redemption. Throughout Scripture, there are stories about people who encounter God's presence. And in that encounter, the people are changed. The person, after the encounter with God, does not return to life as it was. From the story of Noah building the ark, to Abraham and Sarah beginning their wandering lives, to Joseph and his colorful garb, to Saul, David, Solomon, to the prophets, to Mary's mother of Jesus, to the disciples. The stories about their lives show a change after their encounter with God. And also remember this. None of those who encounter God and start a new chapter in their lives were perfect. Of all the people who are lifted up in the religions around the world, it's only the people in the Old Testament and New Testament who are shown to be fallible and make mistakes. This is a unifying narrative that engages all humanity. Telling the story of Jesus is a gift, for it proclaims the enoughness of each person, that the person does not have to be good enough in order to gain God's favor, but God loves them first, and God declares them to be good. As Pastor Doug Warburton recently preached, we don't have to work hard enough to get it, and we don't have to have enough money to get it. It's a free gift of divine grace. The proposed narrative of redemption that announces the gift of enoughness is conveyed from one person to another through the simple act of storytelling. In sharing the story of Jesus and Jesus at work in our lives, we are sharing the story of redemption. And in doing that, we don't start as the perfect one, trying to convert the unfaithful, imperfect one. No, in telling our stories, in telling the story of Jesus, we become fellow pilgrims on a faith journey that is led by Jesus himself. So what is this connection between young adults, the church, and storytelling? Jeff Cloder answers that question in three ways. First, it reminds us that millennials are not strongly moved by the authoritative announcements of the church. Second, millennials regularly share their stories and they appear to treasure when other people tell them their stories. And third, the primary method of community for many millennials is through shared experiences which are grounded in telling stories with one another. So for Cloder, when the church wants to engage with millennials, it listens to stories, it listens to their stories, and it tells their stories. In doing so, an intersection is found between God's story and our own. And in that moment of intersection, 
vitality, creativity, surprise, common good, and life itself can be found. American Christianity, states Jeff Cloter, is shifting from places to people, from attractional to incarnational in nature. Buildings are not what's going to hold millennials together. Doctrinal statements do not speak to them. It is shared experiences that engage them, and experiences are shared through the telling of stories. God's story affords significance and meaning to the endless information we process, rendering the chaotic events and episodes that once seemed unrelated to be connected. This is something that stating doctrine and speaking with reason does not accomplish, says Cloder. Telling the story of Jesus and sharing our personal redemption stories creates connection between people and establishes a common experience of faith community. Hearing and telling the story of Jesus changes how the church looks at evangelism. Evangelism, which for most mainline Christian churches still means making a person a member of one's congregation, the assumption is that the person has been raised in the church. So orienting the person of the congregation is less about encountering God and just simply teaching them how the church works and expecting them to fall into pattern. I believe the church is being called to recapture the original meaning of evangelism, which is telling the good news. And telling the good news is to tell God's story of good news. For the church to get better at telling the story of Jesus, Jeff Cloter offers three challenges to the church. First, the church is challenged to understand that Scripture is a story. Individual stories throughout Scripture are pulled together by the collective story of God at work in the lives of all of our ancestors in faith. Over those stories, the story of God's election, salvation, and renewal draws all stories into the ultimate story of redemption. This makes God's story the story of all people. The second challenge. Leaders and members of congregations are challenged to become better storytellers. Being better storytellers begins with the belief that every person's story is part of God's story. And doing this, Cloder shares that storytelling can diffuse the hostility between people can help a person to identify with the pain of the other person and to lay the foundation for a relationship. And the third challenge to the church, in telling stories that see God's story as overarching all other stories, those who are part of the church are called to learn how to tell their stories well. And here's a challenge to pastors and preachers. If you aren't sharing your faith and telling the story of how Jesus is active in your life, 
the people who are part of your flock will not do so either. Lutherans are being called to hear and tell the story of Jesus. Telling the story of Jesus is foundational to people coming to faith. Telling the story of Jesus is central in establishing and building relationships with those unaffiliated with the church, those who are being overwhelmed with despair in the world, and those who have yet to know Jesus. This is Pastor Rebecca Great, the media ambassador and storyteller for the Southern Ohio Synod. And I want to thank you again for joining us for this podcast episode. There is a discussion guide available for this podcast that is located on the Synod's website and in the description box for this episode on our YouTube channel. We hope this helps congregations and ministries be able to use this information with your councils and your other ministry leaders to help us all grow in our discipleship. If you have questions about any of the content or want to continue the conversation, uh, you can connect with Pastor Tim Menser by sending him an email. His email address is tmenser at southernohiosynod.org. Until the next time we gather on this podcast, remember that we are stronger and better together, joining Jesus in the restoration of the world.